Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for your promise that you are here. You are with us always. You do not leave us and you do not forsake us. So when we pass through the waters, you are with us. When we walk through the fire, you see us through. For through Christ you have called us your own. Every one of us who has surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, Lord, you call us your child, not because we've earned that position, but by your grace alone. And so, Lord, we respond in faith, saying thank you. Thank you for the knowledge that you are with us even now in every moment that we endure. And thank you, Lord, for the eternal hope that is ours in Jesus Christ our Lord, that this world is not all there is, but you have plans for us that transcend this world, that transcend time and space, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us hope and a future. And so, Lord, today, on this Advent Sunday of hope, help us see that more clearly than ever before. For we ask it trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's not a week that goes by when someone doesn't ask me this question. How do people get through things like this without God? I've been asked that question twice this past week. How do people get through things like this without God? And it's a great question. In one case this week, I was talking with somebody about dealing with cancer and all the things that cancer does. Cancer robs so much, and it's such a difficult reality that we have to face in a sin-fallen world. How do people get through things like this without God? In another case, I was talking about the loss of a loved one, someone whose loved one had passed away. Their life on this earth had come to an end, and it hadn't been a real easy last couple of months. How do people get through things like this without God? And my answer in every situation is I have no idea. And that's real. I really don't know. Because the truth is I've walked with plenty of believing families through moments like these. And I've walked with plenty of non-believing folks through moments like these. And I'm going to tell you the difference is astonishing. It's not that the pain of the moment isn't as gut-wrenching. It's not that it's not as hard to go through hard things as a believer or as an unbeliever. It's, It's remarkably difficult. We have the knowledge that God is with us and seeing us through, but it's still allowed to be hard. Okay, I want you to hear that. Because somehow we believe this Christian lie that nothing should ever be difficult if you're in Christ. No, things are allowed to be difficult. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus right before he raised him from the grave. The context of Jesus weeping at the tomb of Lazarus was Jesus was looking into the eyes of two broken-hearted sisters, looking at the tear-stained cheeks of two ladies who had hoped it would be otherwise, and it was hard. And Jesus, even knowing the great glory, the great joy that was coming when he would walk to the tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus would come forth, he still wept. So if you're in Christ and you're going through a hard situation, It's allowed to be difficult. But I'm going to tell you something. When I'm walking with a person, a family, 
who does not believe in Jesus, who is not in Christ, it's still gut-wrenching, but they can't look forward to any hope of when it will be better. The best they can do is muddle through the moment right now. And I'm going to tell you, from a perspective of knowing how much better it could be, it's horrifying. I don't want anybody to go through anything without Jesus, ever. Because it is utterly horrifying for people whose worldview is, is, is limited by what they can see and touch and feel right here. Who believe that when life on this earth comes to an end, that's it, it's over. It's horrifying. Because when I walk through the same moment with a brother or sister in Christ, as gut-wrenching as the moment is, we can look forward to what will be and know that in Christ, truly the day will come when everything will be okay. In fact, everything will be better than okay. Everything will be better than the most okay it's ever been in any experience, in any moment of our lives. God has plans for us that transcend this moment. And that's hope. We have hope because God has come to us through Jesus Christ. Today we light the first candle of the Advent wreath. We celebrate the hope that is ours because God has so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He has, through Jesus, given us everlasting hope. And I'm so thankful for that. And so today, we're going to turn to Hebrews. It's close to James, but we're not going back to James. If you're in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 1007 where we're going. 1007. And we're going to look at this theme today. Because God has come to us, we have hope. Because God has come to us, we have hope. The author of Hebrews writes, in Hebrews chapter 10 about how Christ sacrifices once and for all, and in the Old Testament, the priest had to go every year and make the same sacrifices that could never satisfy God's righteous wrath or the requirement of the law for our sin, but they were a shadow of the things to come. And when we get to Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 19, he's going to bear down a little bit about how Jesus fulfills this need once and for all. So, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 19, God tells us this. Therefore, brothers, since we have a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now, let's pause right there. I know he's leading up to something, he's building to something, but let's not miss what he just said. In fact, our first point is this, Jesus who is God in flesh, came for us. Jesus, who is God in flesh, came for us. The glory of Christmas is not just that God came to us. Now, the glory of Christmas is that through Jesus Christ, God came for us. One of my favorite preachers, Tommy Nelson, describes Christmas as D-Day. He said, it is God storming the beaches of enemy-occupied territory to bring rescue. That's the story of Christmas. We were captive, enslaved to sin, 
And God could have left us to our own devices. God could have left us on our own. God could have left us to just muddle through the moments, but he didn't. He loved us so much that he sent Jesus for us. And the purpose of Jesus' coming was to save sinners. Paul wrote that to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. So yes, Jesus is the perfect example of what human life ought to look like. Jesus is the revelation of Almighty God to all people that we look upon Jesus and we see God revealed. But most specifically, Jesus came for the purpose of saving sinners. Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God that if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, no longer are you enslaved to sin and the elementary principles of this world, but you have been adopted by God's grace through Christ to be called his child. And frankly, at the time of the Bible's writings, daughters didn't get an inheritance. Only the sons did. So whether you are male or female, you have been adopted by God through Christ as a son because you have an inheritance of the entire kingdom of God coming to you. How about that? We were enslaved in sin, held captive by the devil, and God came for us to rescue us. He didn't have to. We had tried to get away from him as much as we could. How many of you from your youth onward have been running as fast as you could to try to get to God? No, if you're anything like the preacher, you, you ran as fast as you could in the other direction. I don't need your rules, Lord. I don't need your standard. I don't need your morals. I want to do what I want to do. If I'd have been God, I might have given up on me. But he didn't. And so I can have hope in Jesus. And God might have given up on you. But he didn't. And that is the basis of our hope in Jesus. To rescue us, the baby born in Bethlehem had to go to Calvary's cross. Theologian James Denny in The Death of Christ said the New Testament knows nothing of an incarnation which can be defined apart from its relation to the atonement. Not Bethlehem, but Calvary is the focus of revelation. And any construction of Christianity which ignores or denies this distorts Christianity by putting it out of focus. If you want to know the grace of God, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. So what happened? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, so what is Jesus? He is our great high priest and he himself is our perfect sacrifice so that we might come near to God. It's important that we understand that that's how that works. 
Because if we miss that that's how that works, then we'll miss the importance of the manger in the stable in Bethlehem. God stormed enemy-occupied territory to get to us. That's the message of Christmas. And so when we say things like, let's not allow Christmas to become over-commercialized in our hearts, and, and let's not let all the sales that we've been navigating over the last couple of days become the main thing, it's because we don't want to miss the greatest thing of all. Every time I, I'm talking with a couple that's getting ready to get married, we make a big deal out of the wedding. But the wedding is over like that. So we make an even bigger deal about the marriage. Because when you get to your 50th or your 60th or your 70th anniversary, you'll have a picture from the wedding, but you're not going to talk about it. You're going to talk about the life you built over the decades. This Advent season, let's not miss the greatest gift of all because we're focused on the trappings. Jesus is God in flesh, and he came for us. Well, now look at what the author of Hebrews is building to, verse 22. Since all these things are so, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Our second point today is this. We who are sinners draw near to God through Christ. We who are sinners draw near to God through Christ. It occurred to me this morning, every Sunday morning, as I'm going back over the message, I fill out the insert you're filling out right now. And I wondered, I wonder if there's any of us who are filling out the insert of the sermon notes, finding it offensive that, that we would call ourselves sinners. I don't like that. Because that implies that there's an authority somewhere that tells me I am not making the mark. I'm not measuring up to the standard. But you know, if you're in Christ, we've come to that realization a long time ago. We're sinners. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I'm not going to heaven because I stand up here and preach. The people who decorated this church are not going to heaven because they came and worked over the Thanksgiving holiday. All those who are seated in the choir loft behind me aren't going to heaven because they sing beautifully and lead us in worship. No, all of us, no matter who we are, have one shot of heaven, and that is the grace of God expressed through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's it. So we're sinners. But because we're sinners, God sent his son to be our savior. He sent his son to be our savior to do a couple things. He sent his son to be our substitute. The wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. Something had to die. It was either you and me, or it was a sacred substitute. Jesus was our substitute who died in our place. The wrath of God had to be averted. The wrath of God was rightly directed toward we who are sinners, because that's what is right and good and just and fair. Do you realize the day of judgment will be eternally just and fair? And we like to scream for justice and fairness and equality, right? Well, it will be the most just and fair and equal day in all of human history. The standard is the same, and you don't get to set it. You will be judged for your sin according to God's standard, or you will appeal to the mercy of God through Jesus Christ by having placed your faith in Jesus long before the day of judgment ever came. That's it. So what do we do, we sinners, poor and needy? We draw near to God 
through Christ. Jesus was our propitiation. The righteous wrath of God stored up for us was instead poured out on him. And then Jesus was our expiation. The sin and shame that we bore, sin never travels alone. Have you found that? Sin always has a partner, and it's shame. Adam and Eve sinned. What did they, what did they do as soon as they sinned? They hid. Unless you're playing hide and seek, the only reason you hide is because you're ashamed of yourself. They hid. So Jesus takes our shame away because he takes our sin away and separates it from us as far as the east is from the west. You want to talk about hope on the day of judgment? If you've come to Jesus Christ, he stood in as your substitute to die in your place. He took the wrath of God instead of you. He was your propitiation, and he has removed your sin from you as far as the east is from the west, and he has removed its corresponding shame from you as far as the east is from the west, and you stand forgiven, clean, and holy before Almighty God because of Jesus. That's hope. That's hope. So we draw near through Christ. Now look what he says in verse 23. Let us, I'm going to add in the word therefore, I'm not adding to the word of God, but in helping us understand as we walk through. Therefore, because these things are so, let us hold fast this confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Because all these things are true, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because we're so good? No. Because we believe so well? Mm Mm-mm. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. Our third point, God who promised everlasting life in Christ is faithful. God who promised everlasting life in Christ is faithful. And I want to tell you, God's character is revealed. That's why it's so important that we read the word. His character is revealed throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, we see God's faithfulness revealed to his people. And in fact, there are a few moments where people stand up and they talk about how God has been faithful. Joshua, in Joshua 21, verse 45, in talking about how God's people had been brought out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness and had been brought across the River Jordan and into the promised land, they had received everything God had promised. And this is what Joshua tells us. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Not one word of God's promises failed. Solomon, in his dedication of the temple, this temple that David had wanted to build, but Solomon got to build, this is in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. Solomon said, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise which he spoke by Moses, his servant. Not one word failed. And even when Abraham couldn't wrap his mind around waiting on God's promise, the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 6, That when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope 
set before us. Now, if you're in Christ, God has promised you everlasting life. And he can't lie. People ask me questions all the time. Can God do this? Can God do that? And I, and I always say, you know, if the answer, if the question is, can God, the answer is, of course. But it's interesting, God cannot lie. That would be completely abhorrent to his character. So the basis of our hope is the foundation that he is faithful. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 1, 9 Paul writes that God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. Great is his faithfulness. So let me ask you a question. When has God failed you? Now, it's a little bit of a trick question because I know that there might be something coming to your mind saying, well, I don't know. I felt like this, the way this went, it was a failure. Stretch out your perspective to an eternal perspective. Get to the new heavens and the new earth. Look back over the landscape of your life after all things have been made well. And now say, when did God fail me? Do you know what that perspective will show us? Never. No, not once. Through it all. He led me. He loved me. And he gave me hope that this day would come. What is the basis of our hope? It is not that we're so good. It's that he is so faithful. Great indeed is his faithfulness. Well, now look with me at verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our fourth and final point. We, who have received everlasting life in Christ, encourage one another. We encourage one another. I've said it before, I'll say it again, I see it all week, every week, from my perspective as your pastor. God has given us a great gift in the gift of one another. Because you know why? You can't go through this alone. It's awful hard. But God has given us brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ to walk alongside one another, to encourage one another, to stir one another to love and good works. Listen, while we were working on the Operation Christmas Child, that was a big job this week. We had Gerald Brown running a forklift with great excellence. We had people loading trucks who weren't supposed to be on the back of trucks, and their wives were telling them to get down and let somebody else do that, but they were up there on trucks anyway because... Well, because whatever, you fill in the blank. Um, we had, I mean, we, we had people greeting and welcoming and all the pieces were coming together. But what was so beautiful is the joy that filled the place because God's people were working together. And you know what else happened? There were conversations off to the side. How's your mom doing? How's your brother doing? How's your wife doing? How's so-and-so doing? We've been praying for that person. Let me tell you something. When you're going through a hard time, the prayers of the saints mean more than you ever thought they would. When you're going through a hard time, the cards and calls and text messages of the saints, the encouragement that can be brought from just a bowl of soup means more than you ever thought it could. We stir one another toward love and good works. That's, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. <laughs> 
God has come to us. He has come for us. Jesus was born and lived and died in our place to pay the price for our sin, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and the third day rose triumphantly from the grave, conquering sin and Satan and death and hell forevermore. And then he ascended unto heaven, proving to us that there is a place that he has gone to prepare for us, and if he has gone to prepare it for us, one day he will return to get us, so that where he is there we may be also. That's hope. And so our call is to spread the Christmas spirit, the message of hope in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because that little baby born at Bethlehem opens his arms for everyone to come to him in repentance and faith. And today, if you don't have that eternal hope, all you have to do is come to Jesus. Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I believe you're the Savior. I give my life to you. Come into my life, forgive me of my sin. I trust you and I will follow you by your grace. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Remind me that you are always there. Help me look to you with faith and take the next step. Help me live in a way that brings your hope into a hopeless world. And help me be encouraged that although everything is broken, you are the one who can make me whole. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.